<laughs> Let's get started. Welcome back to Take Flight, episode number three. We're back again, back to back. Um, consistency, guys. I'm here with Daniel, Pabilo, Shuwa, myself, Olu. So let's get started. Household names. Exactly. Let's get started. So this week, we're going to be talking about morning routines. What do we do in the morning to get the best out of the day? Then we're going to move to hot topics. This week, we're going to talk about the Guardian's article about everyday racism that minorities face. So let's get started. So let's start with morning routine. Let's just open up for what you guys do. What, why is morning routines important for you guys? And let's just share some of the tips that we go through. So just a very, very opening broad statement. But the days where I've prepared the evening before for my day that's coming up or for the week that's coming up, those days are always the most productive. I wake up, I already know what my plan is for the day. I already know which tasks I want to attack. If I can start off the day doing a bit of exercise, even better, because then that keeps me in a healthier mood for the rest of the day. But just a very broad statement, the days where I do something in the morning and it's already planned, they're just a lot more structured and productive than days when it's just not so good. Yeah, I I agree with you, Shua. I, for me, every day I try to work out, at least try to get an hour work in, um, workout in. Um, like, it's convenient for me because I have a gym in my office. But um, I think the best way to start the day is burn some calories, get active. I would say a healthy body, healthy mind creates a more productive person. So health is wealth. The rest of the guys are just going to keep silent for the whole episode. That's cool. No, I think they're, I think they're, I think they're both preparing for their morning routine tomorrow. So. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Now, for, for me, the morning routine has been something this year which has been, I would call it a revelation. So I haven't probably practiced something like this in previous years. And uh, it came from just studying people that are successful in their space and trying to understand what is it that they do in the morning, right? And, and a lot of what you hear is, I think you've heard the saying, early bird, um, early bird catches the worm. And, and the so second, it was... The second mouse catch, gets the cheese. And the second, sorry? Second mouse gets the cheese. I've never um, heard that. I've never heard that. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a, there's something that people don't know with these common phrases, but there's a continuation. The second mouse gets the cheese because the first one falls for the mouse trap. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is don't be the first one to get or to go. Is that what you're trying to say? No, no, I'm just saying. That's what, it's, that's what the phrase is. <laughs> just throwing quotes out there. <laughs> the early, the early one catches the world. Right, Pete, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. So it's been, and, and um, trying it out this year. So like you said, to, to your point, Shua, the best, my best days have been where I've I've woken up early. Um, I've had a, probably an hour or two to sort of go through the routine and then start the day. I think there's just something about waking up early in the morning that just gives you a sense of winning. So, um, but yeah, it's, it came, it derived from looking at successful people and seeing that the common theme was that they all woke up around four, five in the morning, mm. um, and then they just started their day from that standpoint. And I actually, I think it's probably one of the hardest things to do. Mm. So if you can actually manage to get up before the sunrise or before, before most people, you will find mm. it probably sets you off on the right foot. I struggle with that one a lot. What do you guys do to get up early in the morning? Because for me personally, I like, I stay up late. I work, I personally feel like I'm more productive at night, but... I need to improve in terms of getting up early. What do you guys do to ensure that you get up early in the morning? Well, see each every see, see don't see something as your alarm clock. See as an opportunity clock. That's something Zig Ziglar said. You know, every time your alarm goes off, see an opportunity to make your day count. And that's the thing we have to remember: is you're woken up for a reason because your purpose on this earth hasn't yet been fulfilled. You still mm. have an impact to make, and. That's what I see. I see it's an opportunity to make a difference. And then but you I'm, might have to. Then you might have to repeat that. That was gold, man. So yes, don't see. Don't call it an alarm clock. Call it an opportunity clock. See it as, an, as a new day to, as opportunities for you to to accomplish, new challenges to overcome, and for you to have an impact on the day. Hmm. 
I've always been someone who hasn't found it difficult to wake up in the morning anyway. So that's been something easy that I've been able to adopt and take in throughout university and into, you know, recently doing work and everyday life. Even when I'm on holiday at the weekends, I'm still up, you know, before six o'clock. So it's never really a challenge. But it's just also being productive at the same time. So I start my day with prayer. Um, I have a to-do list of what I need to do and what I set out to do in order of priority. And I take that. But with me having to you know, wake up and leave quite early to commute to work. I also maximise that time on my train into London. So that could be whether I'm reading, you know, reading up on some financial news, seeing how the day is going to, how what has happened overnight can almost determine how my day may go. It's always good just to be a step ahead and also try and anticipate what your day could look like, where you can make room for things, where you may need to adjust um, and tick off the top three priority in a forever growing to do this because if we're honest we always have something to do but it's always about prioritizing the things that we need to attack at the right time to make our lives a bit easier yeah, yeah daniel was i like that um but only to your point i don't know if do you think perhaps you're, the fact that you're still working late into the night has come from that routine that we we had at university where you'd work mm. you know until three four in the morning because you don't have to wake up at eight or nine yeah i think university obviously <laughs> didn't help the situation but um I just find it that sometimes I have a lot of energy at night. So I'm like, okay, I'm thinking about an idea. I know some people meditate um, late at night. Is that way of sort of getting your mind to slow down and sort of shut off? Um, yeah. And I've, I've read a lot of um, books about meditation and trying to take time an hour before you go to bed just to sort of slow down your mind. Um, and be strict in terms of setting a specific time that you need to go to bed or you want to go to bed. And like an hour before that, making sure you're not on your mobile phone or on any yeah. sort of devices. Because yeah. <clears throat> they say when you look at a device, it takes you another half an hour or an hour to actually go to sleep after that. Um, but I think the meditation is one that I need to sort of try just to ensure that I stop my day right. Yeah, no, to, to answer your question, so I think there's actually, there's a lady called Mel Robbins. Um, she's a motivational speaker, a really interesting story. And she has something called the Million Dollar Morning, if I'm correct. And it's, um, it's a really, really, really powerful um, um, toolkit to, to, to listen to and see how, if you can adapt, if you can basically take on her advice and her methods and how it basically, and how beneficial it can be to you. So to your, to your question about um, how, how you can you sort of make it easier to wake up in the morning, one thing that she actually recommends is for the phone, your phone is not allowed to go into your bedroom. Mm. Like replace, replace your phone with an alarm clock. So go out and buy, buy an alarm clock and set and use that to wake yourself up. And so what she says basically is because to your point, what you just mentioned, what happens with all of us, and we're all guilty of it, as soon as we wake up in the morning, first thing we do is we check our phone. It could be emails, it could be, mm. unfortunately, Instagram or anything along those lines. And that throws us immediately. So she says don't allow your phone to go into your room and so actually it's funny when i've put my phone out in the hallway or in the sitting room and i've set my alarm when the alarm goes off in the sitting room i'm at my bed because i want to turn it off so by so by walking over to the sitting room mm. from the bedroom i'm literally up so i think i think that has been one of the most effective ways of mm. getting up getting yeah. out and, and moving because if it's by my bedside table i'm only going to switch it off and snooze it yeah exactly and you know mentally you plan like maybe half an hour or 20 minutes before you need to leave and you just continue snoozing it, snoozing right. it. You, can, you can you can be you can be like extremely motivated to say before you go to sleep i'm going to wake up in the morning i want to wake up early i want put leave your phone by your bedside table and you will snooze 100 percent. exactly no no that's a good point sure you got yeah i had yeah, I had, the, I had the same thing, actually. I think I was never much of a morning person and I always preferred exercising in the evenings before. And I think around this time last year, while I was still in um, Tokyo, I, similar to P, I was just reading different books and listening to people's interviews who have had a certain level of success in their lives. And the one common theme that kept coming across was morning routine, exercise, planning your day, all of these things. So similar to you, Olu, I, I'm, I just couldn't get myself out of bed in the mornings at the beginning and I signed up to a gym which had early morning classes from I think seven till eight so I signed up to it and this gym was actually quite expensive in Tokyo but because I was signing up and committing to a class I basically had to go otherwise I was just throwing away twenty dollars I think a class but so you're a baller that's nothing yeah. huh? nah, 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 nah. <laughs> <laughs> big spender here yeah 
so that was one thing to try and force myself to wake up. Then the second one was similar to what you were saying, just packing my gym kit in the morning, just having that extra five minute activity the evening before would save me a lot more time in the morning because when you wake up you're a bit slow you don't want to think about what outfit should i wear where's my water bottle all of this stuff so if you can simplify that aspect in the morning as well mm. then that made it a lot easier to get up and go to the gym and since then i've been able to really incorporate it into my routine and just doing something every day i i know that if i have a week or two where i don't do anything then it's so difficult to get back into the routine of things. So keeping it consistent and doing that also really helps me. And um, so just building on that point that P made about the phone. So I tried to put a phone in a separate room, but for me, it just didn't didn't work. Maybe my willpower was too weak. So I found a middle solution where I put my phones on charge on the other bedside table. So on the side of the bed that I don't sleep on. Mm. And then I actually have a spare phone, which is doesn't work to make calls or get notifications and i just use that phone as an alarm clock so that's that for me bridges the gap where if i need to reach over to the other side of the bed to check my notifications that extra bit of effort in the mornings tends to push me to not check my phone and just get up so that has actually helped a lot for me to wake up in the mornings and try and be efficient in the day that's interesting now p i think um now daniel you mentioned something that was really i think really good was around your commute and how you leverage and use that time to sort of plan for your day. And I think that's one thing I've started trying to do is utilize any moment that I have. So for me, my commute, I drive to work. It takes me like 45 minutes to drive to work. I stop listening to music on my mm. drive and I start to actually either listen to podcasts or listen to financial news or just try and gain knowledge versus just mm -hmm. using that time to brainlessly just listen to music meek. I just, yeah or meek mill or whatever uh but i try to just leverage any sort of commute time is a yeah it's a dope album i let p give his um album review um you can yeah, just dm yeah, him he'll give episode a four, episode four. <laughs> but no it's just utilizing those moments where you're either commuting to get ahead be productive or even learn a lot more yeah i, I see I think um, a lot of what we're saying, and I think this has also come from recommended practice. I think we're all talking about having, say, an hour or two hours in the morning where it's dedicated to something productive. So I was just thinking some of the things like touch, uh, moving on also from the phone, some of the things that I've tried in the morning that have also worked out quite well is um, in addition to putting the phone in another room that waking me up is not looking at my phone for the first hour of the morning. And that just allows my mind just to sort of... Because what you'll find is that you give your, your, your brain a creative space to come up with new ideas and, and just just give it sort of that space that it needs. Because once the day starts, you're already consumed into emails, texts, messages. And so it's kind of, I think it's actually the one time in, in the day where you can actually have uh, time to yourself that is much needed for good ideas. And, and, and so um, so to your point, Olu, about in, in the car and listening to podcasts, I think I think we're talking about that space in the morning. Mm -hmm. what, 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 what we're all talking about essentially is what's known as the golden hour. And that's what we're talking about. It's about setting some time aside to reflect in some quiet time to yourself. And most people know that you become what you think about most of the time. And it's important that each of us start our day in the right way, in the in in the in the right way. And whether it's 30 minutes, 60 minutes, making sure that we feed our mind with positive ideas, yeah. we use the quiet time effectively, as we've all been saying, we practice daily visualization of what we want to achieve and um, achieve on that given day. Yeah. Even just making sure that we are using, not only using that time, but it could even be that we could do exercise, which helps um, create time and free our mind as we can ponder and meditate on what we want to achieve. Mm -hmm. I like, I, I prefer exercising early in the morning, but because of my commute and where I now live, it's very difficult. I do it in the summer about 5 a.m., go for a morning run. But even taking time out during my working day at lunchtime, that just helps me to free my mind, take time off of a busy day, yeah. free out. Always make sure I make time for that hour at lunchtime just to go out and just do some exercise and just come back refreshed. Agree. So for the people that, because there's a few people listening that might... I've started a new job or in a work environment. What are some of the tips that you guys do when you get to work in terms of morning routine so that you can ensure that you have a productive day? The well, first thing I do when I get into work um, at my desk is I check my emails. Um, it may sound counterproductive, but I just check. I check that to see what's most important. Mm. 
because things may have happened uh, during the financial markets that I need to be on top of first thing. Mm. And if I don't see anything that's important, I start reading some market news mm. um, just to, to, to familiarize myself, um, listen to the news, see what are the breaking news stories, see what's happened overnight in the different regions. Um, that's how I usually start my day with some news a bit of maybe half an hour of just reading news, um, taking in some information. It's not always news pertaining to my specific role, but of course also could be general economic news as well across the globe. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, just to interject there, it's an interesting, um, I think it depends on, on the role that you do, but there is, there are some recommendations and advices out there where it says to be at your most productive, you should check your emails at certain times of the day. So, some people even say you shouldn't check your emails for the first uh, a couple hours. Although that would be great. Like, I've tried to do that a couple of times and I've been caught out because I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> okay, cool. I'll check my emails yeah, at 11. <laughs> but at 9 o'clock, I received a, yo. So anyways, but uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it, would be, it would be nice to check your emails sort of closer towards lunch and then maybe in the afternoon mm-hmm. because you give yourself that morning to, to do what we've, we extend what you were doing at home and, and, and think. But it's uh, not possible for all roles. Yeah, I just, it's, I just try and touch, um, look at my laptop three times a day. I think first thing I get into the office. Isn't, that, isn't to... that how much you touch it for the whole day anyway when you're working? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'd that's what you up, do. You'd, Maybe that's you'd what you up, You'd be calling up my phone like you've got, no, like you got no day job. What, during lunch? <laughs> I, said, I said, I don't know what time you call me, anytime. You don't even have reception in your workplace. I swear your workplace doesn't allow you to use your phone. But anyways, what I was saying is I look at my laptop three times in a day. So first thing in the morning, one, I look for it just to write down a to-do list. So I scan, okay, what is important? Um, and I scan it based on, okay, who's sending it? If it's your CEO or CFO, okay, that's important. Um, <laughs> when is the deadline based on if it's something out next week, two weeks time, whatever, you rank it on importance. So I put that to-do list. And then I don't touch my emails until lunchtime and then sort of end of day in case something comes in. Because like you mentioned, if you're constantly just looking at your email, you're always changing your priorities, losing focus. I think someone said it takes you 10 or 15 minutes just to gain focus. Recover. Oh yeah, 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 yeah just yeah, to take focus on a task. And if the moment you think think about something else, you've lost your complete focus and it's going to take you another 10 uh, minutes yeah. to get focus again so you just you won't be productive if you're constantly just receiving new information and new emails and constantly changing your priority yeah although i think um, i have a very similar process but what i try to do is i the evening before before i leave the office i think it also depends on the job actually i guess daniel your role is probably more reactive with the market with the news etc i think if you're working in a corporate environment within a company for example which sells or manufactures products maybe you're not so reactive to the news so what i try to do is the evening before i try to highlight uh, two or three activities on my kind of to-do list or excel file where i track my activities for my projects and i highlight them for the for the next morning so that means when i'm in the office eventually then i already know which are the key activities that I need to start on with the day and ideally try and get one or two of them out the way before before lunch. But I mean, all of us can can plan this, but I think we've all probably experienced those days where we come into the office, something has gone wrong somewhere and everything has been pushed out the window. Boy. So we also have to... Fire <laughs> drills. I think that also the fire drills. So, however, however many times we structure these things, I think to a certain extent we have to be flexible. And in the morning, sometimes if something more important has come through, then we have to adapt accordingly as well. So... Yeah, and, and because of that, my approach is actually just to write down one thing. If I could, if by the end of the day, what's the one thing that I want to be able to sort of get done, accomplish? Because you, you know that you're going to have more than one thing to do. It could be small or big. So, um, and I also recently heard uh, Jeff Bezos say three good decisions a day is enough. No. So the to-do list is actually not that very long. It's probably one or two mm-hmm. things. Quick question for you guys. Do you think, do you think there's a point where you're doing too much in the morning routine where you wake up and you've got if you have like the meditation the gratitude journal the exercise the mindfulness the the podcast to a certain extent do you think you have to try and figure out for yourself what's the right limit because there could be a argument that sometimes people are doing a bit too much and it may be bordering into the unproductive part yeah for me actually to your question sure um i don't think so because 
I think that the moon, the morning routine or a morning routine is so powerful. One because it's the only time of the day where you're actually not. You can guarantee you're not going to get disturbed. So mm. if you can if you can fill it with activities like meditation, uh, like journaling, um, grat- practicing gratitude, I think I think and and also you know how beneficial it is to you. You've gone days without it. You've gone days with it. So yeah. yeah. Um, okay, you can always overdo everything, but I think mm. I think we've we've felt how um, beneficial it is to our days, and so I wouldn't I wouldn't perhaps I wouldn't maybe do more, but I would I would keep it as is. Okay, guys, so that was a great topic and a great discussion. Let's just quickly go around and give one tip that you want people to take away when it comes to morning routines. I would say to start your next day the day before. So have a list of maybe three things you want to achieve the next day and tick them off one by one. Simple. Yes, yeah, so I've actually got just four tips. Four. I've probably got more than four, but just just for now. Top, um, top, top one, top one, top one. Let's be specific. I actually okay. want to hear the four, though. I want to. No, no, no. Top one, top one. Because we can all go. We can all go. Let's be specific. You know what? One say your four, and I'm probably going to agree with you, so you can take mine as well. So say your four. All right. So wake up before the sun rises. One. Oh, wait, wait. I think I got to start again because you. Why? <laughs> Danny, why are you making that face? <laughs> one thing, man. One thing. Uh, the most important thing. One thing. <laughs> one thing all right cool yeah my one my one tip in the morning would be not to look at your phone for the first hour i think my one would be if you can and logistically if it's possible try and do some form of exercise in the morning even as little as 20 to 30 minutes and my tip would be um plan and strategize so work smart not hard when you get in the morning look at okay what are the key things you need to do to actually gain results. So just to summarize. I think I think Daniel's one was quite similar already. Yeah, you know, you know, great minds think alike. <laughs> oh, we said there's a saying about that as well. <laughs> we said we said say what's your most important. Yeah, what's to say? But fools seldom differ. You need to stop with these sayings, yeah. It's a proverb that you know great minds think alike. But fools seldom differ, meaning that if you're a fool, your your opinions rarely differ. Really different. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon. I reckon for the interest of this one, Olu, I reckon you should, because then if we give four different ones, it's a nice way to summarize. Okay. Um, so my tip would be utilize every minute of your day. So if that means when you're driving to work or you have a commute, try to not listen to music and. Either plan your day on the train or listen to a podcast or get some financial information um, during your commute. So, yeah, utilize every cool. moment. Hope everyone has a great Monday morning tomorrow. Bam. No, nah, it technically this. depends when we upload this. Oh, it might yeah, be, it might be Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay. Take out the day. So, let's move on to the next topic. So, this is the hot topic section. For this week, we're going to talk about an article from The Guardian where it reveals evidence around everyday racial bias within Britain. So, firstly, is anyone surprised about this article? I'm very shocked. I know, right? (laughs) You're shocked shocked at the fact that um, the numbers or the fact that they're trying to make out as if it's exclusive? I'm shocked that there's racism. Let's, I want to hear some of the numbers, actually, before we start debating. Yeah. Okay, so, let me go through. Someone share some yeah, of the I can show. So for the, for the what listeners. it was saying is um, 43% of minorities feel like they've been overlooked for jobs versus 18% of um, white people. So that could be subjective, I guess. And this can, is in the UK? This is in the UK. So this is Britain okay. specifically. Okay. Um, second oh, one. This one? In, in shops. Yeah, fifty-five percent are mistaken for an employee rather than a customer. Yeah, wait, it's happened to me. It's yeah, it's happened to me as well. Just it's because funny, <laughs> it's funny because when I shared that, people found that one the most hilarious, but so true. Yeah. <laughs> um, another one is um, you're three times more likely to be thrown out of a restaurant or bar, or not even get an entry, um, if you're a minority. Oh, but what about this one? What about this one, guys? Because we can perhaps could relate to this the strongest so 62 percent around travel being stopped going through the airport security or customs a 100 percent. i think there was a three-week period where in the, I took 30... in the u.s that's a hundred percent 
Yeah. Yeah, I've been I stopped a few times as well in the US <laughs> for customs. I've been stopped. No, yeah, let's not even talk about my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How many times? Do you, okay. Let's do a quick. Okay. How many times? What's the most you've been stopped in the shortest period of time, Olu? Um, on one flight. So I was traveling from London to the US. I was stopped three times just on one. Like on, I was stopped in the UK. They were like, yeah. "So can Olu Canola please come to the nearest no, desk?" They <laughs> yeah, they called oh. me on a. So I came over, got stopped, asked a few questions. When I landed. I got stopped again, and then they were like, no, um, "There must have been something up there." Yeah, I, this, but this was the first time yeah, I traveled to the US, <laughs> and then um, they asked me to like oh, where at the side, the the side section where they asked me a few questions, like, "Okay, so what do you do? Uh, why are you coming to the US? Do you have any family?" I was like, "Guys, I've got a good life in the UK. I don't want to stay here." <laughs> like, <laughs> but you know, that was probably my worst experience when it comes to traveling. Yeah, I think for me, I had a period where I was traveling extensively for three, week, three, four weeks. And over the course of four weeks, say, I took 13 flights and I was stopped 11 times for random searches, random in apostrophes, which is crazy. 11 out of 13 is not random. There's something, maybe it's my name, the way I look, something in the system which made me flag, be flagged loads of times. And actually, the other one that Pabila mentioned about being mistaken for workers or something. I remember being with another brown friend of mine and we were in Geneva and we were at a party for a charity organization. I'm not going to name it. And this was a black tie event. I think it was around Christmas time. So it was a Christmas uh, evening. I can see and me and my brown friend, we went behind the counter where you have to hang your jackets up. So me and him, it's a cold winter's evening. We're hanging our coats up. Then a group of, I think majority of them were females. They came along. And I think they were majority Caucasian. And when they saw me and my friend behind the counter, they thought we were working there to the point where they started taking their coats off and passing it over to us to hang it up. I think the more important thing here is what's the mentality that you guys adopt during these situations? I just got to laugh. What do you guys do? I think it's worrying because, oh, not even worrying, but... It's sad that this has now become the norm. The norm in terms of this is, is our day-to-day -day life. So when this article says, oh, 40% this, 30%, this is what we experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and it's, it's reached a point where you either try to numb the feeling. Because when I was yeah. younger, I, I'll be honest with you, it frustrated me being pulled over by the police, searched for no apparent reason just because I, I, I can't even justify the reason but you just stopped to a point where now as i've become older you try to either numb the experience or try to just make it not ruin your day because it's so easy for experiences yeah. like this to ruin your day it's funny because i've never been stopped and searched i've been pulled over in my car once um it was uh, a few years ago, I was driving back from Manchester. I watched uh, a match at Old Trafford. I was driving Eesh, back to uni. You support, you support it... United. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ish. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's that might be that might be worse. That might be worse <laughs> for you than racial bias. I was driving back to Oxbridge and I was in Denham, and I was going considerably fast. And as I went past the side road, I saw a police car park. So I thought, okay, damn. I know I'm doing over 30 miles per hour, so what I didn't do is slam my foot on the brakes because then it's clear you've been speeding. So I just eased off the gas and I let it just slow down naturally. And as I got past around about maybe three, 400 metres around, you know, he flashed his blue lights. And I had two passengers in the car because I took um, two friends to watch the game with me as well. Mm. Um, and so we got pulled over. So I said, you know, good morning, officer. Um, how can I help? He said, oh, um, there's been a few BMWs stolen in the area recently. Hmm. I was like, okay. He said, I'm just going to, he goes, do you own this car? I was like, yeah, it's mine. Uh, have you got a license on you? I said, yeah, I do. So he ran the, he ran the, it might have been because it was a private plate. I don't know. But he ran it and then he let me go. But why are you stopping me for no apparent reason? 
Mm. If there are BMW sold in the area, you know, thanks for letting me know. I'll be more careful about where I keep it. <laughs> he, what he's basically trying to tell you is he, he was he was surprised that you were driving the car. <laughs> That's what he was trying to say to you. Like I got stopped and searched in front of my house. Like I pulled oh. out in the front, like front of my house. Was driving by. Um, there was a car in front of me that stopped. He closed his boot. He waved his hand to say, "Oh, thanks for being patient." I pull up to the front of my house. A police car pulls over and says, hey, I saw the guy in front of you hand you a package. I was like, what are you talking about? He searched. When was this, Oli? This was when I was 19. So I experienced okay. this when I was 19. So yeah. right, in the, right, in, um, right at the front of my house, he searched my entire car. My mom actually came out because she came out. She was like, oh, what's going on? So the police officer searched every, like, you know, back in the day where you used to have the CD cases. Like he was taking out all my CDs, looking in between them, looking for, I don't even know what he was looking for, any substance. No, no. It reached a point where my mom was like, no, 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 he's a good boy. His brothers go to university. I was like, mom, he doesn't care anything you've got yeah, to yeah, say. Yeah. Like, was, he on his, was he on his own or was he Yeah, he was by himself. Guy? He was by himself okay. and he obviously he didn't find anything and he just let me go. But it's just, it reaches a point where there's just multiple amount of experiences and stories. And what gets yeah. me frustrated is when, people use that victim mentality like oh you guys are just being victims you know you're over exaggerating you don't actually experience this it's one thing i try to always do is i never try to underplay or down downplay anyone's experience so like yeah. if a woman says this is what i'm experiencing I, i'll never say to her no no that can't be true because you can't truly tell someone what they're going through on a day-to-day -day basis because you've never lived in their shoes like you've never lived in their and to be honest, yeah. I'm not, 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 you know, I'm just saying it's usually why people say you don't feel that way or you can't feel that way, but you can't tell me you can't, you don't feel that way because you haven't experienced it. Mm. Have you guys, how many of you guys have had that comment given to you there? Because I think in my, in my experience, when I've shared these types of experiences to people, most of my friends from non-minority backgrounds have been A, quite surprised and B, feeling a little bit sorry for me but but you say you guys have you guys had experience where people are telling you oh well you're just overreacting no i haven't i was actually going to just share before you ask that question um the, the perspective or the mindset i try to hold is first of all i actually feel sorry for those people that uh treat people differently right because we, mm. we've heard it before i think i i really do think it's a disease if you're looking at someone differently just because of the color of their skin mm. and therefore you treat them differently or you feel uh, inferior or whatever the case may be but I think it also sometimes um, it can also be understandable so there was one time when I was actually going across the border from Switzerland to Germany and across this border you have a lot of refugees going across right and so I was running across and they pulled me in and they searched me so at that point in time <laughs> well, why were you running? Why were you on it? Why were you on it? Well, because I was in a rush I was running, I was, in, I was in a hurry and it looked, I can, from their angle it could obviously look like I'm trying to scatter across into Germany, so I can understand <laughs> He was trying to get into Germany If that was a say, for example, a non-black person or brown person, they wouldn't have stopped that person mm. so, as I was getting searched, I understood I said, okay, cool, I can kind of see where you're coming from Brown, they wouldn't Try to rationalise it, but then there was another incident where, and this is kind of, perhaps we can how do you guys react to these situations? When I was flying back from from Canada to to Zurich, and it was a business class flight, oh, and I, I know where you're going in, with this. Stood in the business, so obviously I'm queuing up for the business class, um, I'm checking, and there's obviously not that many people. As I got to the close, as I got to the counter, the gentleman said to me, um, "Economies that economies over there." <laughs> right, and so, but he said oh, it in a very sad man. and I said, and I said. Uh, and at that point in time, because I tried to really just ignore it, not let it frustrate me because it scatters your energy. You just try to stay focused on what you're doing. I said, I can't let this go. So there are times where you say, nah, look, this, this, this doesn't feel right. I it's can't walk much, away from it. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah, it's too much. I go on a plane and feel like I, I should have said something. I said, I said to the gentleman, I said, why did, you, why did you make the assumption that I'm in the economy? And that's when they, and, and this, this, this particular guy was like, oh, no, no, uh, 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 no, no, wait, 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 slow down. Why did you make the assumption I'm in economy? Mm. I'm business class. So it's, it's, sometimes, sometimes the scenario can be understood mm. and other mm. times a reaction is, is needed. I guess it depends on what kind of reaction. Um, but there are some people, like we know, sure, who 
they have to discipline every single person that 100%. they come up with. Even if they're not the person that's actually on, on the um, on the receiving end. Hmm. No, so, I think there's certain times where you do like there's different levels to each reaction. There's I do believe there are some times where you need to be extreme. So, for example, if it's outright racism, then you need to be extreme because, like, I've traveled to certain places. We're not going to get into that conversation about music and whatever. Where you go to a particular club or bar. And and people using the N word, so after after the I think I was in Amsterdam one time, and one guy, what's up, my N word? And I was like, what? I was like, and that's where you need to check the person because you need to make them yeah. know that this is unacceptable, um, and put them in a position. Um, so the, I think there's depending on how extreme it is, will determine sort of your response to the situation. Um, one thing uh, it would be good to understand if you guys feel this or how you guys handle this, but do you feel like you're carrying the weight of your whole race in terms of when you interact with someone, you, do you feel like based on the way you act automatically, there's going to be a stereotype or a perception of Always. your whole Always. race? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I see you're coming from, I wasn't too sure he's going to go with that question. But, um, <laughs> No, I think we all have responsibility to make sure that we're doing our, our family names proud and also the fact that we are the minority. So that, that plays a part in, I think, every discussion um, and position of a move that we make. So for sure, 100%, yeah. Do you think it's fair that we have to go... For, like, you're talking about family and there's a difference between your, just your family name, but in terms of you might be in a work environment where there's only two or three black people. And no, automatically, no, just, when you yeah. act a certain way, it's like, oh... All black people do that. Or all no, black no, no, people like sure. chicken. Exactly. Or, you exactly. know, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, so I am conscious of the fact that I, I, like, I would like to leave a good impression on people that haven't necessarily spent so much time around mm. our culture or our race. So um, it's not at the top of my mind, but it's something that I have thought about in the, in, the, in the previous years. It's good to put my best efforts forward because it does leave a good impression. Because this is the thing. They go off now with that impression and they would apply that impression on, on, on the next person that they see mm. so i think it does help um that's just yeah that's me yeah i think um my my personal experiences i think when i was growing up in school i was in a school where it was probably 300 kids of those kids 298 were white british kids and the rest <laughs> were just me and another guy so you're already from the off used to kind of not being one of the others so having that ingrained from a young age, I think you kind of get used to it. And I think you are conscious of your behavior. I remember when I was growing up, my mom would cook like Indian food and I love her food. But I went through a phase where I was a bit kind of embarrassed by her food because of the smell and everything. When I'd go to school, like people would like look at my lunches and stuff. And I was really like, mom, why are we eating this? Let's eat pizza every day or spaghetti and all this stuff. And then you kind of grow up. And now I've grown to really appreciate my culture and I'm proud of it. But I do feel like if I'm the only minority in the room, then people will look at me as a reference point for other people who are similar than me, but not in that environment. The same again when I went to Japan. I was surrounded by Japanese people in the office. And A, people would come to me about kind of British questions about Brexit and all this stuff. And then the other hand, they would come to me about questions about being Indian, Bangladeshi origins. So you are kind of representing that, whether you want to or not, you are, yeah. But I also, yeah. Feel, but I also feel when you're a minority in a small enclosed group, so it could be a work, the same department, same team. For some reason, there were also, there were always comparisons, mm. especially when it's just, say, two black people, they always compare, the, maybe not to your face, but behind closed doors. There's always mm. a comparison like, oh, why is this person like this, but he can't do this, they're both black. Mm. They're always, and especially in schools That's growing strong. up. Mm. And they draw these comparisons, especially in schools, I know, specifically schools, mm. where you might have a misbehaved child but they think, why is he like this, but the other person's not? Mm. And I have friends that are teachers, etc. And these are things that, they, you know, teachers do pick up on. And they do talk about in the staffroom. Even though my friend is a black teacher, they always make these comments. Or it was something that was shared that there's some data that came out that the black boys in the school were perceived as the most disruptive. But in actual fact, when you look at the statistics, they're the most, they're the, they're, they're the highest achievers. Mm. what it comes down to is also understanding culture so a group of black boys being when i say loud in inverted commas 
mm. or they're just having a good time. But that can be construed as them being disruptive, yeah. mannered, um, and and up to no good. Mm. Whereas you see that amongst, say, Caucasians, that's perfectly fine. Mm. But they're just having a good time. Community. It's just lads being lads. Yeah, for example, you, we could be at a restaurant and we're just having a good time, laughing out loud. I'm sure you can look around and see the faces that people are making when we when we look towards us. Like, oh, you remember my my um, 25th birthday? No, yeah, not yeah. 25th, my 26th when we went to uh, a particular restaurant in London for breakfast. A group of us. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember. No, no, you, yeah. you couldn't, you couldn't make you it. Couldn't you couldn't make travel it. in. Oh, but, okay. You know, we had you know, there were there were ten there were ten. Um, uh, black guys around the table in the prime table of the whole seating area in the restaurant and we were well dressed you know wearing suits and jackets at you know early in the morning and every person that came in looked over us thinking whether who are these people or what are they doing here but they had nothing to say because we were the thing is, well the thing is did you see did you see that as a negative i see that as I, a I see positive. it as a positive because we're well dressed we're well behaved and we're, we're not being disruptive and, you know, yeah. and, we, and we good we give a good tip at the end. So just on just what on that on that work piece, the one thing that has um, I heard someone say this and it stuck with me and it and I think it will stick with me for such a long time, is as a black and brown person, you have to prove your good. As a white person, you have to prove your shit. Excuse my language. And that was <laughs> And that was, I think, was really, really, really just interesting in terms of um, the perception and then the comparison, as you were mm. talking about earlier. It's just growing up, you, you've told you need to work twice as hard to get half as far or, or to get the same, you know, half as far mm. as um, another person. And it's just, I guess, it, for me, it's, it's just really difficult when you carry the weight of your own, your, your whole race sometimes because you just know... The reaction, and I think you mentioned it perfectly, that comparison, where it's like, if you do exceedingly well, it's like, oh, Olu does this, why can't you do that? And it's like, you got to understand within any race is complexity. There's different people, there's different, there's different um, interests. Daniel loves his classical music, you know? I like more my hip hop music, you know? Like there's complexity in every single race and... It's just sad that currently in the way the system is set up is there's a certain way of stereotyping and generalizing just based on one person's reaction. But guys, so what is the solution? So we've talked about our experience. We've talked about our um, the disadvantages of it. But what is the solution? How is this ever going to change? Or is it just a, a no hope race? Yeah. I think just to, just to quickly say, from my personal opinion, if I compare how things were when I grew up in the UK, and to be honest, my experience in school, I, I didn't get hardly any races, races, racist abuse or any racism compared to some of my other friends who went to different schools in the same city. Um, for me, things have actually improved quite a lot from what I observed. Whenever I go back to the UK, I feel like the city that I grew up in is more diverse. When you're in London, you're surrounded by different cultures. Despite what you see in the news, I think more things are being reported. But from what I observe, I feel like people are yeah. hopefully becoming more tolerant. How to fix it, I'm, I'm not sure. Just to share your experiences with, experiences with as many people as possible. Yeah. When you meet people who have a different view or are a bit uncomfortable with you, with you being there, smile, have a conversation with them. Try and help them be educated as to why people are different and why you're actually fundamentally the same human being anyway. Yeah, no, I like that point, sure. I think, I think, um, and I think that's, I would echo on the same point around. Um, so first of all, I mean, it's, it's never easy. And I, and I empathize with every single person that goes through an experience. Um, that's, that, that is because it, it does, it doesn't traumatize you, but you, you, it shakes you up. And then, and then if you don't have the conversation or you don't sort of, speak on it with 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 your, with your own people your parents um some of your elderlies it can build up and then build that level of frustration so i wouldn't say it's, it's a solution but my my approach would be is always to keep your eye on the price stay focused um try try not to let as, as hard as, as it's not easy it's easier said than done let these sort of uh, events um scatter your energy and 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 have you do something that you wouldn't necessarily do and then secondly, have the conversation. So if you have experienced situations where you have been um, subject to, to racism, 
have the conversation and try to understand or try to have the conversation to understand why it is the way it is because it's there's so many layers to un to unravel uh, and we only and I think and I think having the conversation is a great way to start. Yeah, on my side, I would say I think about it in terms of two ways: internal and external. So, internal is really how you respond to the racial bias that exists which we all know exists so it's how do you try to work on making sure that doesn't impact your energy so you yeah. know it exists how do you ensure it doesn't ruin your day and mess up your energy through one looking at it as okay is something wrong with them and not me two continue trying to just ignore and live your life so don't feel like, okay, because this restaurant or bar, I want this particular experience is controlled by uh, people that don't look like me and I'm a minority. Still do those experiences and put yourself out there. Um, and then the second aspect of it, which is the external part, is, is one of those areas that this just needs to be a, like, I don't want to, like systematic prejudice or racism it's something that is not going to be changed overnight now there's stuff like they've done with like affirmative actions and ensuring that there's certain quarters and making sure that you recruit a certain amount of minorities i think whenever you do get in those positions it's got to be one educating the person about your culture and other people that are different to you and secondly really supporting and mentoring other people like minorities to pull them up because i think one thing that we don't do that we need to do more of is really pulling our people up as we succeed as we get a foot in any door any room it's just pulling people up so that would be my sort of solution yeah so good good points for for another episode i like that well i think to tackle that what we need to do is whatever it is and I was at um, a men's breakfast yesterday with some very important people. And it was about... Wait, wait, wait. Important very was... important people. I wasn't in a room. What do you mean very important people? Pete, were you yeah. in that room? It was, it was, it was, it was an elite group. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't want to mention the, the gentleman's name. But yeah, and some, what someone said was, he said, just always give out love. The only thing we can combat anything with is love, but also education. And what also needs to be important is when we do experience such things, be careful of our reaction. Oof. Because yeah. it's so easy to be agitated, become irate and angry in a split second. Yeah. And it's so typical. And that's the normal thing people can people would do. That's the reaction people would expect. But if you come out and love them, but also in an educational way, it leaves a better lasting impression and mm. think, wow, that was interesting. And the reason I say that was is also is there's, um, I don't know if you know, a special constable is someone who volunteers in the police force. So they have a full, full day job, uh, full, you know, they have a day job, but also at the same time, they volunteer maybe 16 hours a month just to help out in the police force. And I was talking to someone and he's a volunteer, he's a special constable. And he was at Notting Hill Carnival, and as a gentleman came up and was shouting abuse at him and everything, saying, "Oh yeah, blah blah blah, I pay, I pay your salary, I pay your wages." And he goes, "No, you don't." He goes, "Yes, I do. I pay your wages." And he goes, "No, I'm a special constable. I volunteer." He goes, what does that mean? He goes, "Well, I have a full-time job, but I just come and volunteer to help and protect people like you to make sure you're safe." <clears throat> and he goes, "Oh wow, I'm sorry. I didn't know." And for him to come out with that reaction and response made him think next time he comes across a police officer or a special constable, this is someone who's volunteering their own time to help protect us people. So when we do experience such things as a black person, brown person, ethnic minority, is try and educate this person, but also love on them in the right way. That's what I have to say. Daniel, you should you should be the next London mayor, bro. I'm going to vote for you. You, you got my vote. <laughs> when are you running for <laughs> office? Uh, I don't. You know, that's not something I've had a conviction to do. 
but you know, if I do, when you when you do, you got my vote. You got my vote. At least you got at least three votes from this podcast. (laughs) Okay, so let's move on to the next topic, which is the book recommendation. Um, Shual, so I'm gonna pass it on to you, so you can go through the book recommendation. Oh, is it my turn this week? Yeah, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. What was about to log off? <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, like, Daniel, you know what was about to go is be disconnected. <laughs> so thank you, Olu, for the nice little intro. So this week, my recommendation is a book by a gentleman called Napoleon Hill. Oh, now, really? when most... <laughs> oh, sorry? No, I'm saying that's a joke. Tough crowd, tough crowd. He's he's already thinking about how he's going to apply to be London mayor. That's why he's distracted now. But focus, Daniel, focus. So when I say Napoleon Hill, I think most people will think in their mind the book Think and Grow Rich, which is probably one of his more famous works. But actually, after he released that book, he released another one called Outwitting the Devil, which is the one that I'll be talking about today. Now, the book is framed as the secret to freedom and success. But what I love about this book is basically he's trying to get you to be aware of all the traps that a human has in terms of distraction, in terms of the negative things you can tell yourself, in terms of having the right mindset. But the way that he frames this discussion is basically having a conversation with the devil, which is why the book is called Outwitting eh, eh, the Devil. Uh, uh, from, I'm a Nigerian, eh? we're not talking to no devil. I don't know about you guys all, but my... My mom, my ancestors, we don't want to talk to no devil. I don't know about you guys, but... <laughs> but okay, so this, this is a book which at the time, and your reaction has been perfect, actually. When he released it, there was a lot of this reaction because during that time, the concept of talking about devil, Satan, Satanism, all of this was massive taboo. So before people had even read the book or looked at it, mm. they would hear the title and they would react exactly how you're reacting, be it if they're from Nigeria, from the UK, from all over the world. So it was actually banned when it first came out. But the reason why is he's not actually talking about the Satan, he's not actually talking about the devil, but he's just talking about the opposite side of him, but all the bad traits that he has as an individual. So this is the voice inside you where if you're trying to do a project or if you're trying to do an idea, this is that voice that's saying, ah, sure, do you know what? That's not a good idea. Like you're comfortable over here. You don't need to risk doing that. Or this is the one that's saying, okay, if you dedicate, if I dedicated myself to doing this particular task every day, I may not see a big win in three months or six months, but in the long term, I will. But the devil, the voice inside you saying, it's too much effort. It's not worth it. Maybe after six months, you'll change. So the whole idea of this book is he's having this conversation with the alter ego of himself and challenging this guy to say, well, why are you telling me to procrastinate? Why are you telling me to be lazy? And I think the way that he frames this, having a conversation with, in apostrophes, the devil, it keeps you very engaged. And it's a lot of back and forth dialogue. And I I really enjoy this book. I think the fact that when it first came out, it got banned. I think this made it become more notorious. But then eventually when it was released, it was a huge success, sold millions of copies. And everyone knows Napoleon Hill. He's a great um, author, especially for these success books. And yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed the book. If you can't, the listeners won't be able to see, but I've got lots of post-its of the book. And that normally for me is a sign that the book is well worthwhile. And since I read it, I actually bought it for my my younger brother and he also loved it as well because of the dialogue in the back and forth i think p you've also read it as well right it's, listen i just it, for me i read it early this year and it was one of those books where after reading probably you know every page or so you close the book and you looked up and just said wow uh it's just the clarity in in his writing uh it's 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 i quite find it quite mind-blowing and i think and just perhaps to give a sense of of it's really, it's also in the space of the self-help, you know, so it's it's about, talks a bit about failure. Uh, it, it talks around, um, yeah, how to see failure. I think fear, um, having purpose. So the, so the chapters are sort of around that space. And Daniel and Olu, have you managed to read this book? No, no I haven't read it. Okay. I haven't read the book. But what I was going to ask actually is, with this book, you know, what would you say were the three most insightful things you took away that were really wow? And now, how did you apply that? That's a good question, Daniel. Yeah, so I think, I think what's interesting, actually, is um, he has a chapter there, which is learning from adversity. 
and I think I posted this recently on my Instagram, which is, you know, every adversity brings with it a seed of equivalent advantage. So every seed of failure brings with it an equivalent seed of success. And um, I've, we've, all, we've all lived this already. We've all experienced this. So if I, if I look back at, at my first, very first internship, um, and that was a, was a huge challenge, and how that sort of shaped me and molded me for the first position once I graduated from university. But during that time of that internship, I, I, I didn't think there was a light at the end of the tunnel. But that was me up for what I jump onto in, um, um, after university. So I think if you look at your life and you look at the situations you've been in, there have been many, many times where you, you're, in a, you're, in, you're in a spot of bother and it took a few months after or next year where things change, your fortune change. So I think that, that one resonated very well. And I'll just, I'll just speak on how else you can also it. So he says, every adversity brings with it a seal of equivalent advantage. This is what he says. He says, failure often serves as a blessing in disguise because it breaks the grip of the rhythm and it gives you a chance to start fresh, mm. right? The other thing he said was, failure is a man-made circumstance. It's never real until it's been accepted by a man and made permanent. Right, so failure is a state of mind. It's made up, and therefore it's something an individual can control until he neglects to exercise this privilege. Very, very powerful. And I think people just have such a negative connotation to failure, and uh, we just need to change that mentality because failure means you tried something new. <laughs> like you don't fail exactly. something you know how to do. Like it's we should encourage people to fail more often, which I don't think as a society we do. But that's a Another topic for another week. Yeah, I think um, just building on P's, uh, P's key takeaways, I think the whole book is built around framing failure and how you can overcome it and turn it into a great lesson. I think other points that I saw from it is, and I think it's, it's funny that we're talking about this in today's episode because earlier on we were talking about morning routines. He's very big on the habits that you have as an individual. So do you have this habit of, kind of speaking negative to yourself? Do you have this habit, habit of being lazy? Do you have this habit of not having a real purpose for anything? And once you take your laziness and indifference out and you get that purpose, you realize that a lot of these tasks that you couldn't do before, you were giving yourself many excuses not to do, you're suddenly able to do them in a much more productive way. So it's funny we're talking about this on the same episode that we talked about morning routines earlier on. The... Um... What's that, it's, that, it's a little bit disturbing as well because as you're reading it, you're, you're basically reading his conversation with quote unquote the devil, and yeah. the devil replies back in terms of how he works. Um, and one of the red lines that I thought stood out was that he, Napoleon Hill tells you to be a very definitive and independent thinker, right? And any unused space in your brain is going to be taken up by the devil, and then it causes you to drift and do something that perhaps you haven't. Um, thought of so it's a lot around being very definitive with who you are finding your purpose um, and having a plan and there's another thing that uh, I thought was was really really interesting it spoke about luck and it said nature knows no such thing as luck it's a man-made hypothesis which he explains when he doesn't understand what's happened so I know we've heard about luck is when opportunity meets um, preparation but what Napoleon Hill standing on is saying if you are very clear in your thought and you're very objective and you have a clear understanding of where you want to go and you have a plan when you fail and when you succeed you know exactly what went wrong and what went right and there is no and when someone asks you oh how did you get to from point a to point b oh i was lucky that's your way of saying i don't understand how i got there I heard that's, one, that's his perspective i heard one time on something luck is the last i wish for those who think winning can come by accident yeah mm. Dan's been dropping some gems this this episode. (laughs) That's like number four. Luck is the the last dying wish for those who think winning can happen by accident. Damn. Do you have like a book? Like instead of the dictionary, do you have like a book of like um, quotes? It's just just, no. It's just whatever you feed your mind can can spring up at any time, isn't it? Mm, That's true. That's true. I think just just look just quickly scanning through the book again as well some other common themes that come through um and i think i touched upon earlier so your purpose once you have that purpose to align for any activity you're trying to do then it will make life a lot easier and you'll be more focused mastery over self which is what we had discussed earlier on so morning routine what are you 
How are you controlling your own actions and your own thoughts? Learning from adversity, which we heard Pabila mention before. Controlling environmental influence. So this is the people around you. Are these people helping you get to where you want to be or are they kind of dragging you back? Maybe those guys are the quote-unquote devils in your life where they're dragging you down or making you go down a path that doesn't make sense. Another one is time. So controlling your time and making sure that you're dedicating your time more towards positive thoughts rather than negative. And the last two is harmony. So trying to get harmony with your mental being, your physical well-being and spiritual to make sure they're all aligned. Because if one of them is out of sync, then pretty much the whole the whole system goes. And then the last one is just being cautious. So this is just making sure that once you have your plan and you're ready to act, you've thought about the steps that you need to take and you've planned accordingly and covering any areas that you maybe had some gaps. So I know overall it's a it's a great book. I highly recommend it to everyone. Don't let the cover outwitting the devil scare you. It is a great book and it's a great conversation that needs to be had. And I think the way that they frame the devil, he was saying in this book, Napoleon, you can't release this book because if you release this book to the masses, they'll figure out all of my tricks and all of the ways that I would get them to get distracted and not achieve their goals. So he marketed it very well and positioned it in a very strong dialogue. So, yeah, highly recommended. Great. Thanks, Joao. So that's the end of episode number three. So thank you very much for listening. Um, next week, we're going to come back with a few more topics. So I really appreciate the time. I hope this episode was useful, insightful. Thank you and take flight. Peace. Take off, take